You're watching The Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates. You're listening to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on The Sports Objective. Join Coach C, a USA Strength and Conditioning Hall of Famer, every Monday night to see in a variety of guests, including former players, former and current coaches, pastors, and others will discuss relevant issues in coaching today's athlete. The goal of equipping the athlete and those coaching them with the physical, mental, and spiritual armor necessary to live their best life. Here's Coach Connors. Welcome to Absolute Empowerment. Uh, tonight is a very special night because we have my friend, my colleague, and Hall of Fame strength and conditioning coach, Bert Hill. Bert, really happy to have you in the house. I appreciate it, Coach. So, uh, Bert, what I'd like to do is uh, kind of go through your background a little bit and uh, tell me a little bit about where you were before you hit Texas A&M after you graduated from Wichita State. Well, now, wait a minute. I, I got to back you up a little bit even from that. Uh, I really <laughs> didn't it didn't graduate from Wichita State. I went up there and played football for a couple of years, but I ended up transferring back to Montgomery, Alabama uh, and enrolled at Auburn University at Montgomery. Uh, went uh, to Cloverdale Junior High School and coached uh, with the guy that coached me when I was in junior high school, uh, Skip Wolf. And uh, so I was there for, for uh, you know, I started off at Marion Military Institute and I was there for a year and a half. Then I went up to Wichita State and I was up there for a little over a year. And so then I'm now I'm at uh, Auburn University at Montgomery and I think I'm on a seven year plan <laughs> you know, as far as what I'm, I'm majoring in. So uh, I ended up saying, hey, I'm just going to be, I want to be a football coach. Uh, I'm going to get my degree in physical education. Let's go with it. And uh, so I went over to uh, find Coach Wolf, and he added me to his staff. And uh, so I worked with him for two years while I was finishing my undergrad at Auburn University at Montgomery. Uh, and I had a professor uh, that was one of my major professors there at AUM. Uh, his name is Dr. Joe Elrod. And he was very influential on me. On, on, he was a very strong Christian guy. And uh, he had a way of, of uh, weaving that into our curriculum and into to how he talked to us and, and what our lessons were. And uh, he and I got to be pretty close. And, and he understood that uh, one of my goals was to try to coach in, in college football. And uh, so it just so happened that Dr. Joe Elrod uh, had a connection with a guy that he had played uh, baseball with uh, down at Nichols State University, Coach Sonny Jackson. And Sonny had just gotten the head football coach job at Nickel State. And uh, so Dr. Joel Rod asked me, hey, would you be interested in going down there and uh, being the assistant uh, GA strength coach, uh, D-line coach? I said, sure, let's go do it. So I, I went to Nickel State, and the guy that I was connected up with there, his name is Barrett Murphy. And uh, Coach Murphy was a D-line strength coach. He had been the head coach at Catholic High School in Baton Rouge. And uh, – one of the things that makes that significant uh, during this time, I'm talking 1980, 81 uh, Auburn university at that time, it was the only school in the country that had a curriculum in strength physiology and they were offering a master's in it. Everybody else was cardiovascular physiology. Okay. So uh, I was working with Barrett and uh, he kind of knew what I wanted to do. Uh, he had a connection with, with Mike stone because Mike got his doctorate at LSU Barrett was right there at Catholic High School, and it just so happened that Dr. Stone went to Barrett Murphy and said, hey, listen, I want you to help me uh, with my doctoral thesis. I'm doing it on periodization, 
and we're going to take the football team and divide them in two groups. We're going to take the girls' softball team and divide them in two groups. And one group is going to do what at that time was was the way to get strong was three sets of six. And then the other group was going to do a periodization model. And that at that time, the periodization model would have been two weeks of tens, two weeks of fives, a week of threes, and a week of twos, uh, with the percentages uh, going up uh, each each week. And so uh, Barrett participated in it, and the results that they thought they were going to get, they got. Whoever did the periodization model outdid uh, the athletes who were just doing three sets of six. Okay. Right. So now I'm at Nickel State working with Barrett, and I kind of made a decision. You know, at that time, there weren't very full-time strength coaches in college football. You're talking about the early 80s. And uh, so I kind of made a decision that that's the direction I wanted to go. But in order for me to do that, I wanted to know physiologically why I was doing a particular program. Uh, it didn't make any sense to me that if I was going to go somewhere, I would look at LSU's speed program, a Texas A&M strength program, uh, Nebraska's agility program. You know, I needed to know why I was putting all these different components together. And uh, so I talked to, to Barrett and said, you know, I'd really like to go to Auburn uh, and get enrolled in that program over there. So he called Mike Stone for me. And uh, Mike ends up getting me a GA position in the PE department. Okay. So I ended up at Auburn and uh, got my master's degree in a year uh, because they had at that time, they had a curriculum set up where you could do it. Uh, now you were either in class uh, or you, you were in, in the library because you had to hump it. So when I got to Auburn, uh, really after I got settled in, the first guy I went to see was Virgil Knight. And Coach Knight was the uh, strength coach for the football team. And I told him, I went and found him. I said, hey, coach, I'm, my name is Bert Hill. I'm from Montgomery. I went to Cloverdale Junior High, Lanier High School. Uh, and, and I'd like to, you know, come volunteer. I'll do anything you want me to do. He said, great. So he gave me a T-shirt and a pair of shorts. Uh, I got to dress where the track guys dressed. <laughs> and, and off we go. So I was either in the weight room, uh, the library, or the classroom for one full year. Well, what made it interesting on top of that is Virgil at that time his philosophy was one set to failure. Uh, he was doing uh, the guy from, from uh, Florida that had invented the Nautilus machines. He had kind of inherited that program, and that's what he had done at University of Florida. And then he came to Auburn, and he was doing the one set to, to failure uh, reps uh, on his program. So I'm seeing that hands-on, working with the program, but I'm also studying uh, periodization and, and how that training program is supposed to go in. So it was a very interesting time for me um, to, to look at it and, and analyze it and then know why physiologically you'd do one program versus another, you know? Right. Well, no doubt. I think there's still some, uh, I don't know Virgil. I didn't know Virgil Knight, but I know some Virgil Knight stories out there that I've heard. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah. he might have been, must have been a little bit of a character. Uh, yeah, uh, Coach Knight. He could. Yeah, he he was he was he's a great guy. I tell you that. Uh, he's yeah. he's living in Arkansas now, building homes. Okay. Yep. Well, of course, uh, you know I can, I can relate to that because I I had been a police officer down in Florida and uh, had gone to uh, several well powerlifting gyms, but also that's when all the Nautilus gyms popped up, and I started yep. to learn more about the Nautilus uh, program, and then uh, I actually ended up in Tennessee uh, coaching football and at a uh, uh, a fitness center. Uh, there as well, which was connected to the football program back there, a place called TMI Academy. 
And uh, we actually ran a Nautilus program there. And also uh, I had a powerlifting team in conjunction with that. So uh, a couple of days a week, I do sets to failure. A uh, training partner of mine, we'd come in on Saturdays and try to hurt each other in a Nautilus circuit. <laughs> and uh, with all the negatives and negative accentuated and all the different uh, things that Arthur Jones was pr- promoting. And I made a trip to the land, of course, and saw that whole thing. So very much familiar with it. But uh, I'll tell you what, I don't think you can find a Nautilus machine anywhere right now. Uh, I think the last, museum. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. And uh, yeah, I think I told you I interviewed at Penn State one time and it, you know, they had that, that's the time when they had nothing but machines. Yep. And uh, so, uh, you know, we're looking at Penn State and, and Michigan and I think Michigan State and uh, a lot of, you know, several different programs out there were using that. But uh, so uh, what occurred for you to go ahead and get the uh, position uh, at Texas A&M? And then, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about how your methodology had evolved, evolved by then as far as what you did with strength training and, uh, uh, you know, w- what type of speed program uh, or running program did you have then along with the, the conditioning? Um, what did you hang your hat on during that period of time? Okay, Coach. Well, there's a, uh, you know, I was with at Auburn for a year and got my master's degree there. Okay. And then I had people – from all over the place trying to hire me at that time because they wanted to know what was going on at Auburn. Right. And uh, so, I, but, but I got offered a, a GA job at Mississippi state. I went over and interviewed for that. Then I got offered a GA job at Texas A&M. So they flew me out there for that. Jackie Sherrill was at A&M. So I fly out to interview for a GA job. Yeah. And, uh, and then uh, I come back and uh, a guy by the name of Al Miller, Yep. Was the head strength coach at the University of Alabama. And at that time, Al Miller, he was the guy. I mean, he was like, he was the guy you wanted to work for because he, he had it going on. And uh, so Al called me up. And uh, the next day, Virgil calls me into his office. And I said, Yeah, coach, what do you need? He said, Well, uh, I heard you, you got offered a job at Alabama. Now I'm at Auburn, right? He said, I understand you got a job at Alabama. Uh, coach Dye wants to talk to you. Okay, now here's what, you know, he's going to talk to you about this, this, and this, but let me tell you, he's not going to tell you anything, but here's what the deal is. And he told me, you know, I'd be getting a room and you know, they'd take care of me like this eye. And, you know, he gave me all the details of what was going to happen. Right. I decided to stay there. So I get get called up to Coach Dad's office, go in and sit down, and they had treated me uh, unbelievable at Auburn. I mean, I was included, uh, even though I was a volunteer guy with one pair yeah. of shorts and a T-shirt, they treated me like I was part of the program. And uh, sure. so I go in and sit down. Uh, Coach Dice says, uh, he leans forward. He, he, he hauls around a little bit, talks about, how's your family doing? Everybody good? Uh, I know you're from Montgomery and everything. I said, yeah, Coach, everything's good. He said, well, I understand uh, you've been offered a job at Alabama. And I said, yes, sir, that's right. He said, to you, it's a job. To me, it's a damn war. I don't want you going up there. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am. I'm going, oh, man, Coach Dice, wow. And, and so right then I knew I wasn't going to Alabama, at least, at least not right now. And yeah. so, uh, he, he said, if you want to stay here at Auburn, I'll take care of you. I said, okay, coach. Thank you. I said, can I have a little time just to think about, it? he said, you take all the time you need. Let me know when you make up your mind. Okay. So then, uh, that I ended up going leaving Auburn and going to Texas A&M <laughs> because I didn't want to go to Alabama and hack off uh, coach die. 
So I'm at Texas A&M. I'm only and Dave Williams was the head strength coach out there at that time. Dave ends up leaving uh, Texas A&M and going to Liberty, and he was at Liberty for a long time, maybe 20, 25 yeah. years. Uh, yeah, well, Dave. Yeah, Dave was my college coach, is my head coach. That was his teammate at Fairmont State up in West Virginia. And so, yeah, I'm very familiar with Dave. Uh, Dave is uh, about the strongest Christian individual you can imagine. No exactly right. Great man. He sure is. And uh, so anyway, so I ended up out there at Texas A&M for a short stint. And then, uh, you know, everything that coach that I had done, and then Dave ends up leaving, and I got hired by Jackie Sherrill. So that's how I ended up getting out to, to A&M. Yeah. And uh, really, uh, guys like Al Miller and, and – and, Virgil Knight, you know, the way that they ran their programs, the structure of the way they did the thing, uh, the way they handle players, uh, the way they talked to them, the way they worked with them, you know, all those kind of little things were really, I thought, really important for me as I was coming through as a young strength coach to know that when I'm in a situation, how do I want to handle that situation? You know, because there's going to be repercussions coming on if you handle it this way or you go that way with it. And, uh, and I think those two guys for me, uh, were, were really the, the most influential guys of, of getting my program set up, you know, because yeah. you know, coach as well as I do, I can give you any program that you want, or you can get a program from somebody else. It's not the program itself that gets it done. It's you being able to make adjustments as you're going through it, you know, because okay. that, that's the whole key to it is you got to be able to, to this, we had this plan. Well, that ain't working too good. Let's move it over a little bit. Let's adjust it to the left a little. Okay. We got this going on. Let's go back to the right. Uh, so with, I guess to answer one of your other questions of, of how I set my uh, program up, uh, I thought that the way Virgil had his program was the way I would run it uh, other than his philosophy of lifting weights. Okay. And so what we did was we trained three days a week. We trained total body. And uh, legs were the king. Okay, we were going to push. We we're going, and, and so I, that was a firm believer in that. So what we did was we lifted uh, three days a week, and we would do uh, some sprint work on those days. And then on Tuesday and Thursday were our conditioning days, and we would set up on the field. We'd have um, six to eight different stations. Okay, and we had uh, we only ran two groups on that day, so they would come out there. We we would. Uh, maybe start the stations off at maybe four minutes or, or three minutes. And then we'd work it up to six or eight minutes over time. Okay. But we would take them through all of the agility circuits and then we'd rotate them. And then when they finished the agility circuits, then we did some additional sprints on top of that. But he, but what Virgil did was he stayed pretty much, uh, we ran tens, twenties, thirties, and forties. Okay. During the winter off season program during the summer off season he, at that time, uh, it was very, very popular to run 220s, 440s, you know, uh, th that type of distance. But Virgil really never ran a whole lot of 440s. He was mostly 220s, 110s. He always worked in that sprint zone area, the anaerobic uh, work. And, and I thought he did a great job of uh, making adjustments as we went through the program, you know. So um, that was the, really what I took when I went to Texas A&M. Uh, and, and I got an opportunity to run my own program. I went to the three day a week model. I thought that was the best way to train. Yeah. Uh, and, and I didn't want to keep them in the weight room more than an hour and a half uh, because I felt like if I did, uh, but at the same time, 
you know, we would start off giving them a, a lo- longer rest intervals. And then as we went, we'd cut the rest interval back, you know, trying to, to work with the different energy systems within the whole deal, because these guys weren't training to be weightlifters. They're trained to be football players. Right. So we, right. we're trying to do everything that we can to get them in a position where they can go out there and, and go through uh, what they got to go through to get through practice and stay healthy. Right. And then yeah, again, yeah. another guy that was really, really, very influential for me when I was at, uh, at Texas A&M, I'm trying to think of the, the year coach. It, 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 <laughs> they kind of all run together, but it had to be around 1985. Uh, there was a guy that had made uh, a machine that would pull you that for do for do over speed training. Uh, and his name is, is uh, drifting away from me right now. But this guy made a, let me just go with the story anyway. The, the guy made this machine called a Sprint Master. And this, this guy lived up in Virginia. And so um, I called him up because I was interested in, in, in checking this thing out. And he tells me, well, listen, this summer I'm going to be up in Wisconsin and uh, I'm going to be at a, at a speed clinic up there. If you come up here, you can see this machine. You can use it, did it, eat it out of dough. And then you could buy it if you wanted. I said, great. So I fly up to, uh, to Wisconsin and Gene Noonan is the guy, the coach up there that's kind of overseeing this. And Gene had been using this sprint master, uh, for several, a couple of two or three years. Okay. It had been out for about that long. And, uh, so I worked with Gene during that camp and I was up there for about a week and I was so impressed with him that, you know, I said, well, I need to buy one of these machines. So I buy one. And I say, Gene, I need for you to come down and help me work it for a couple of weeks. So I fly Gene Noonan in, put him up, take care of him. And uh, he works with me on how to handle the, the machine. Because what it was, Coach, it was a lawnmower engine with a rope that stretched out 60 yards. Yeah. And at the end of that rope was a swivel and a pair of ski rope handles. So you could move your arms, you know, like in a normal fashion as you're running. And so you would get the guy anywhere, depends on the distance you're running. But we would run, we'd start at 60 and run them route, you know, half three quarter speed. And then we kind of worked into it, but you could lift up on the, on the handle of the machine and it, you could stand still and hold it. It wouldn't pull you, but once you're running, you know, you're in air most of the time. So that yeah. sucker could pull you. If you, if you ran a five flat 40, we were trying to pull you at four nine. Okay. And, and yeah. the, the thought process at that time was that your central nervous system has to get switched over and be able to help you uh, to move faster. If yeah. you, just because you, you're forcing the body to go there, you know, and so Gene comes down, works with me. And well, one problem you got is you got a football team. You got 110 guys on the team. You got one sprint master. How many guys are you working? <laughs> yeah. So, so we were talking and, and we, so we somehow the idea came up of let's get some surgical tubing. So yeah. we, we called in and we had all at that time at Texas A&M, whatever you need, you got it, brother. So we, we ended up buying, I don't know how many feet of surgical tubing coach, but these tubes would stretch out about 15 yards. Okay. And it was double thick, uh, type of, uh, surgical tubing. And then we put belts on the end of it. Okay. Yeah. And so now, and, and Gene was doing this too. So now at this time, now you could stretch it out and one guy would take off running another guy's going behind him. All right. And we would pull for different distances, uh, depending on what day of the week was, uh, doing that deal. So we had to transform from having a sprint master to the, the surgical tubing. And then you could get the guys lined up on the field and orchestrate it, you know, 
these guys go, then the next group, then the next group, then and you could coach right. everybody up at one time and they're, as they're running through the drill. So we're working form technique, but we're trying to do it, doing an overspeed uh, work with it. Okay. So the, my, I would say if, if you ask me about my speed work and what we did, it would be a combination of what Gene Noonan was doing because he, he was really big on fundamental technique of running form. Okay. And then what Virgil was, was, you know, he was, let's get behind it and, and push it a little bit harder. So <laughs> you, got, you can combine the two of them and you got a pretty good program. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, that uh, <clears throat> assisted and resisted training has been around for quite a while. I remember, you know, when I, we were in high school, I started reading some stuff from the Cowboys and some friends of mine and I started tying ourselves to a Volkswagen and, Yep. And then and trying to run behind it. And people thought that was about half nuts, but uh, <laughs> of course. But, and, well, we were using the, those uh, sleds to pull. To, it, it, when we were doing this program, Coach, we had days that we would come out and we would start with, with the resistance and then we would switch over to the overspeed training. Right. So we were doing basically the same, probably the same type of, of, of uh, resisted training plus overspeed. Yep. And I really did a lot of that same stuff in the, back in the 90s. Uh, coach, I did speed work like five days a week, some form of speed work. I yep. mean, I was a speed work craze, crazy nut, you know, with, with that stuff. But, uh, you know, and I tried to make sure that we had uh, enough rest to the nervous system where we could do, you know, maybe just speed drilling one day, postural drilling. Sure. Uh, but just something that would help contribute to – better body position and of course, better force application and, and uh, better arm stroking. Uh, you know, I got a lot of, uh, of that from learning from Kevin McNair uh, back in the day when our friend Ronnie Jones allowed me to come into the Philadelphia Eagles and watch Kevin work. And then I, I brought him into ECU and I brought him uh, I also was uh, speaking with him as a consultant to me when I was at Carolina, when he was out in California. And then when he passed away, I didn't even know that he had passed. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Kevin was a, a great resource and a pioneer where speed work for football was concerned, no doubt. Uh, so uh, uh, getting you know, back. So as, I, as I progressed from there, when I was in Detroit, uh, I was very, very fortunate in Detroit because I had unlimited resources. If I wanted to bring somebody in to clinic me up, I could do it. I had no problem. Yeah. Well, so there was a guy out there named Charlie Francis. And, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you remember him. Uh, he coached up Ben Johnson, world world record, right? Yeah. And so Al Vermeil uh, was a strength coach at that time at the Chicago Bulls. And he was telling me the, the work that he'd done and, and, and what, what he was doing. So, I, I put it in and got an opportunity to bring Charlie Francis into uh, Detroit and uh, really kind of a good story here, coach. So he's going to come in. Um, he's married to a gal that is the uh, 110 meter high hurdle champion in, in uh, Canada. And so he asked if he can bring her to, uh, to the training camp. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing him in during off season in Detroit and at that time, Coach, this had to be uh, 1995 or 96. You know, we only had uh, maybe 15 or 20 guys that stayed in Detroit for the whole offseason. So this is kind of early in the offseason. And uh, Charlie's going to come in and spend a week with us. I wanted to know if he could bring his wife with him. He needs to train her while she's there. I said, no problem. We got everything taken care of. 
So he comes in. I film everything he does. He, he opens his mouth. We're filming it. Okay. Yeah. And so, because I, I had 15, 20 guys, I got another 40 guys I got to send this to. So he, he, he gets finished. He leaves. And we duped up this thing into a, a v, VCR, sent it out. And, uh, and then I called the guys to see if they looked at it or not. So I called Bill up. I said, hey, Bill, did you get that uh, the video sent to you? Oh, coach, that was great, man. I tell you what, the, really, that, that was a really great video. Thanks for sending it. Okay. All right. Take, talk to you later. Bye. Click. He didn't watch it. Call the next guy, Sam. Hey, Sam, <laughs> did you get the video? Oh, coach, yeah, that sucker. Yeah, that, that's really good. Okay. See you later. Click. He didn't watch it either. Now I call Fred. Hey, Fred. Oh, man, who's the chick in the video? Okay, because what happened, <laughs> we start off, it was a little coolish up in Detroit about this time of the year. And so uh, she starts off in a full regular, regular yeah, warm-ups and everything else. And she does a couple of drills and we film it. And then she takes her top off and then we film that. And then she takes some other pants off. We so we get her down to finally the last couple of drills, Coach. She was not wearing a whole heck of a lot. And so the guys that watched the video, I knew that they had watched it. You know, it wasn't, wasn't real hard for them to tell you that. But uh, Charlie's basic philosophy was you can't run a faster 40 till you can run a faster 30. Well, yeah. you can't run a faster 30 till you run a faster 20. Well, you can't run a faster 20 till you run a faster 10. Right. Well, you can't run a faster 10 until you got a better start. Okay. <laughs> so his whole thing really was, it was the, what I got out of it anyway, it was the start. It was the, the form and learn to relax his whole yeah deal was to, if you can relax, then your body's going to move faster. Uh, and, and, and that was his, his, his deal. And it was unbelievable as you're working with people or players or whoever it is, once you start talking to them in those terms, and if they can uh, take that in and, and, and assimilate it somehow, that it, it is amazing. You see them running in and going, wow, they hadn't done that before. Yeah. Well, hey, you got to relax to be fast, and uh, I'm trying to apply that principle to my golf game right now. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, you know, really the same thing applies. Uh, yes, you have to be relaxed to move fast. So, uh, um, you know, and as far as the uh, getting back to that resisted running, you know, they've got a device now called Sprint 1080. Uh, I went up to Ohio State, the Mickey's uh, clinic here this past year, and I think they had at least – Maybe I had two or three of them. I don't know. But, you know, again, you're looking at something that costs nineteen, twenty thousand $20,000 for one unit. Yeah. Now, that's giving you a whole lot of data and information. And, and now we're just data crazy in this profession. So, yeah, I guess that's that's a good part about it. But uh, I was happy to see that Mickey had about 20 run rockets sitting there, too, because, you know, I like that piece. That was I yep. thought that was a, uh, a great um I guess you could say innovation for resistant training. But uh, uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, Texas A&M and Ohio State in relationship to the head coaches you had? And, uh, you know, did did they want to have any input? Did, were they supportive? Uh, I wasn't working for those guys. Coach, it was interesting. You know, uh, everybody's got their own personality. So when I was at Texas A&M, I was with Jackie Sherrill. Yeah. And uh, – you know, Coach Sherrill was the first coach in the country to have a million-dollar contract. He was getting paid $250,000 a year on a five-year deal. That was a million-dollar contract, okay? And that's, <laughs> the 250 now is what most guys pay their assistant strength coaches, you know? Oh, yeah. But, uh, but it's crazy. Uh, so 
Coach Cheryl was was uh, was really he was a great guy to work for. He you know uh, let me tell you this story about him and, and this this might tap it off for you. So he tell I'm there and, and then uh, Dave ends up leaving and, and so Jackie tells me I want you to run the off season program. I want you to put it together and come up here and see me. I said yes sir. So I go down and coach with no computers back then. Okay, so I'm I'm writing yeah. everything up by hand trying to get us all done. Got an eight week program I got to put together. And so it takes me about three, four days to get that thing done. And then I go to Coach Cheryl's office and uh, knock on the door. And he, come on in, come on in. And he's on the phone, okay? He says, come here, sit down. And he's talking, yeah, blah, blah, blah. he said, come on, just keep talking to me. And he's on the phone the whole time. And I'm, I'm trying to explain to him I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Here's, here's how we're going to do this part of it, Coach. And here's that. Just keep talking. So he finally finishes, and I'm finished. He puts the phone down, and he stands up. And he said, I don't know if you can get me on this, but he said, I want the players doing these. And he bends over like he's doing a bent over rope, right? T-bar rope. And uh, I said, okay, coach, that, that, that's a bent over row. That's that's what that is. He says, I don't give a damn what it is. He said, the Pittsburgh Steelers did them, and they had big arms and big necks. He said, I want big arms and big necks. You got that? I said, yes, sir. And that was the end of the interview, coach. It was it was back to the weight room. Let's do a bunch. Was a week. Guy came in the door. He did some D bar rows, and we did a bunch of curls before he left. Yeah. And, uh, so that was kind of Coach Cheryl's approach to it. And, and I'm gonna tell you, we won a lot of games with big arms and big necks, coach. That thing yeah. that wasn't, uh, you know, I, I'd say that's a pretty good program if you want to stay with it. And then uh, Coach Cooper was was really kind of a hands off guy anyway. You know, he hired people. He figured they knew what they did, what they were supposed to be doing, and he just let them good let them do it. Um. So it, it was, you know, and I was with Jackie for a little bit longer. I was with him about five years, and I was with Coach Cooper just one season. Oh, okay. I went to Ohio State, and we went six and five. And yeah. uh, that was the year that Coach Cheryl got let go, and R.C. Slocum, the defensive coordinator, took over. And I ended up going back to AM for one year before I went to Detroit. Oh, okay. Because uh, we went six and five. I thought they were going to hang everybody. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that's when Mickey came in. Mickey's still there. So how great yeah. a decision is that for me, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah, Mickey's been there a long time. And, yeah, coach. There was a nineteen eighty-seven or eighty-eight. Yeah. Yep. I coached. Uh, you know, we kind of coached against each other. I guess you could say when he was at uh, Cincinnati. You know, back when I was at ECU the first time. Yep. And uh, you know, Mickey had a tremendous career. Uh, Notre Dame, Florida. He, I mean, he he hooked up with the right folks, no doubt. Yep. Sure did. Uh. Yeah, the uh, that was a great game, Notre Dame Ohio State uh, yesterday. Oh, was that something? Yeah, and I uh, I listened to the the Lou Holtz interview before the game on the Pat McAfee show or whatever the show was, uh, uh-huh. and Lou talked about well, you know, uh, if you if you list the the games that Ohio State has lost. And he named you know, the two Michigan games. He named about three or four other games. And he said, and the whole reason was they weren't physical enough. So I text Mickey. I say, hey, Mickey, you need to play this for the team. Uh, so <laughs> he texts me after the game. He said, we played it several times. So I don't know if he was just kidding or if he really did it. Yeah. So, yeah. But, uh, but and, and the thing is, Lou, Lou Holtz had also coached with uh, Woody Hayes at Ohio State. Yep. So he had been there as well. Uh, so, um, you know, moving to uh, Detroit, 
Now, how did things start to change in relationship to your approach with the, the professional guys as opposed to the collegiate guys? Was there that much of a difference then, or uh, were these guys uh, – as coachable as the collegiate guys back then, or did they want, were they very uh, independently, uh, I guess you could say, uh, influenced, particularly in the offseason? No, coach, you know, and I saw that evolve over time. But when I first went to Detroit, uh, I only knew how to run the program one way. Yeah. <laughs> Here's how we're going to do it, guys. You know, and, and mo you got to remember now, these guys are coming out of college. So really, most of them are familiar with the, some form of what we're, what you and I would do in, with them anyway in, in the college right. setting. But uh, I was very fortunate when I went in there. Uh, I had a core group of guys that were good lifters. You know, I had uh, Chris Spielman. I had Mark Spindler. Uh, I had Danny Owens. I had, I had some guys that, that were coming in there that uh, loved to lift, wanted to lift, wanted to be pushed. Uh, I can remember the first uh, off season I was there with them. We actually went outside and they had to help me because I didn't have any assistant coaches. It was just me. And I set up four stations like I did, like we were doing at Auburn. <laughs> okay. And, and we'd, I'd blow the whistle and they'd, the, the players had to coach each other in the drills. Right. And then we'd blow the whistle and they'd rotate. <laughs> and then we'd come to, to come together. We're going to do our sprints. Okay. Get your hand on the line. If, you, if it's behind, if it's not on, if it's behind the line, you're going to go again. Okay. You don't full speed. Oh, you didn't run all the way through. Good. Stop. Oh, let's go. Let's start over again. And they were all in that. I mean, they, they were loved it. So I was very, very fortunate going into that situation that, to have uh, those kind of people there. And, right. uh, you know, it, it was really coach, you know, even later on, like uh, when I was, I was in Miami 0506. Okay. And so now trans from 1990, let's go to 2006. Okay. And, at that point in time, to me, uh, the players were a little bit different from the perspective of they've, uh, they're making a lot more money. Okay. So for them to have to do what's best for themselves and not necessarily best for the team, sometimes that happens in the off season, right? Cause once the season starts, it's all for the team. And, uh, I would say that, that guys would, at that point in time, 2006, had their maybe probably a, I'm going to say maybe 30% of our players had their own guys, strength coaches that they went to uh, versus trying to come in and be part of our off season. But really the off season by that time coach wasn't in 2006, I had two weeks of uninterrupted training. They called it the off season. That's all you had. Wow. So with that being said, if I'm a player, I'm going to go find me a guy that'll train me. If I, if I only got two weeks of off season, you know, I mean, yeah. they had the option to be there, but that's that's kind of the reality of the situation. Gotcha. Well, tell me a little bit about when you were in Detroit, how you got involved with coaching the D-line as the strength and conditioning coach. Well, here's what happened, Coach. So I'm at Texas A&M, and uh, what happened was I, I, I go to uh, Ohio State. Well, my GA is Rick Spielman, okay? And, and Rick was the GM in Minnesota for a bunch of years. And I'm working with – Chris Spielman had been a rookie that year in Detroit, and he came back to train and uh, wanted me to train him. And I said, I'm not going to do it. And he said, what do you mean not going to train me? I said, well, you'll do part of what I ask you to do. You'll do your own stuff. You won't have any results, and you're going to blame me for it. I said, when you tell me that you'll do exactly what I ask you to do, don't do any more, do any less – I'll be glad to work with you. But he got all ruffled up. 
So he, he left and uh, he got upset because he couldn't power clean and he saw the guys, you know, doing power cleans. And so finally he yeah. came and said, hey, you tell me what you want me to do and I'll be, I'll do it. I said, okay. So he and I became, we, we had a pretty good mutual relationship at that point in time. So I ended up leaving and uh, I'm in at, at A&M and I get a phone call said, Hey, you want to be the strength coach at the Detroit Lions? <laughs> that sounds good to me. He said, well, you know, coach Fonce is going to call you. We've told him all about you. Need to die, do to die. And uh, he said, you, he wants to see you at the combine in Indy. So I had to go, I went and saw uh, Coach Slocum. He was there at that time. I said, Coach, I need to go to Indy to see how they're training those guys up there. And he said, go ahead. So I went up and visited with uh, with Coach Fonts uh, in Indianapolis in the bleachers. And uh, they ended up hiring me. And so that, that's really how I got to Detroit uh-huh. was, was through the influence of, of uh, Chris and Rick. Right. Well, uh, how did you learn? I mean, how did you learn how to coach the D-line? Was okay, that- I'm sorry. So, now, so, so the first thing I did, Coach, when I got to Detroit was I went to find the defensive line coach, okay? And I told him I wanted to help him because I knew from my experience of being at Texas A&M, the biggest group I would have problems with of, of, of rallying them up was the D-line guys because most no of them doubt. were really good athletes. You know, they sometimes they didn't feel like they needed to do certain things, Right. So I'm, I'm figuring now I'm going to a bigger scale. I need to have a little more contact with these guys. So I went to to uh, Lamar Leachman, who was the defensive line coach. I said, Coach, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'd like to work with you uh, if, if that's okay. He said, Fine. I didn't have an assistant at that time either. So I'm, I'm, you know, but the great thing about pro football is if they're all in meetings, they're all in meetings. There's nobody in the weight room. <laughs> so I'd be in the meetings with them. If they staggered meetings, then I'd have to stay in the weight room. Uh, so that's really kind of how I got connected. I went to Lamar and said, Hey coach, I'd like to help you. And so he said, great. And, uh, he, he put his arm around me, treated me like I was his son. And, uh, and I had the opportunity to coach. So I'm now I'm in the meetings. Uh, I'm in everything going both ways, uh, yeah. as a strength coach and as a defensive line coach, you know, and right. what, what was interesting to me is just the way people perceive things. They think if, if you're a strength coach, you can't coach defensive line. I don't know why. <laughs> if you're a D-line coach, you're not a strength coach. You know, so how does that work? To me, it's all teaching. So, so if you're good with fundamentals in strength training or you're good with fundamentals in football, then you can probably coach them. Yeah. Uh, and so that that was really how the door opened up for me. And so I ended up uh, – I was with Lamar, and then I would do a three-game breakdown every week, coach, of the opponent that we were playing. I did it all by hand. So I calculated at one time it took me 19 hours worth of work each week to do whatever I needed to do for the defensive line guys other than, than what I'm doing with the strength guys, right? right? Because I'd write their programs up every week too. So, you know, we, we all have our master program of what we want to do over time, and then we have little incremental deals that we that we put in. Uh, so that was kind of how it was, and, and I just, I you know, I, I enjoyed it, <laughs> so, even though it was long hours because I got there early and stayed late and uh, and really enjoyed it. I really did because you, you develop a different – type of relationship with the guys when they're in the weight room, you know, you're around everybody, you get a feel for what's going on. And and it's, it's a, it's a great place to be a part of the team. Well, the D linemen were always the most challenging for me. So I can relate to you there. I mean, you kind of had to uh, micromanage those guys a little bit and uh, each one of them were a little bit different. So you had to, you know, individualize a little bit with, with your yep. sense of motivation with those guys. I, 
I really noticed that throughout my whole career with that position group. But, uh, when you uh, uh, went to the Canadian League, USFL, and you were coaching D-line, yeah. uh, tell me a little bit about what you looked in a defensive lineman uh, that you thought could be developed or, you know, what, what did you think were the ex- exceptional qualities that you could find in a defensive lineman? Coach, the number one, the, the number one characteristic you're looking for is a guy that plays with effort. If yeah. you get a guy that plays hard, I think I'm a good enough coach. If a guy can, will play hard, he's going to make me look good, yeah. <laughs> you know, because I can teach him. I, I feel like I can teach him what he needs to know about taking on a block, getting off a block, and tackling a guy. Uh, yeah. Taking on a block, getting off the block, sacking the quarterback. You know, I, I think that that I can work with a guy, and especially if he's a high-effort guy, then that's the number one thing for me. And then, of course, if you go from there, now you're looking for a guy that's got a, a good burst. He, he has a yeah. three-step burst because if he doesn't have a three-step burst, he can't get to the quarterback. I don't care if the offensive lineman falls on the ground. If he ain't got a three-step burst, he ain't getting there. Right. So I would start with those two. And then, you know, from there, because a lot of times, uh, especially if you're looking at high school film, if you're a college coach and you're looking at high school film and a guy's a two-way player, okay, and you can see him over on offense and he's just kicking Fanny. And then he gets over on the defense and the guy's blocking him all day long. Well, what's happening when he's on offense, he knows what to look at. When he's on defense, the guy never told him what to look at. He just told, <laughs> told him, go go yeah. beat that guy, you know. So he has to know to, to where he's got to look, where his eyes and his hands need to be, you know. Yeah. So to me, that that's why I'm saying if, if you got a guy that gives you great effort, that's hard to beat. I'm, I'm going to give him a chance. Who were uh, some of the best D-linemen you coached uh, with the Lions? Because uh, we had a few. Uh, Jerry Ball. Uh, was one and Jerry ended up eating his way out of the league after he left us. Uh, but he played at SMU and he was at SMU when I was at Texas A&M and Jerry ball could jump around the center to the left and make the tackle on the tall sweep to the right. I mean, <laughs> this guy was unbelievable. Okay. And you know, he didn't play hard all the time, but when he turned it on, I mean, he was, he was a go-getter uh, had him, uh, Luther Ellis was a first-round pick for us from Utah. Um, he was a defensive tackle, was a really good player. Uh, Mark Spendler played at Pittsburgh, yeah. uh, played defensive tackle for us. Uh, Dan Owens was from USC, uh, was a defensive man, was a really good player. Um, shoot, I'm trying to think back now. We we uh, we had we had some good teams when I was in Detroit yeah. um, from 1990. Until like 2000, I think we were in the playoffs every other year. We just couldn't get past the first round. (laughs) What did you like as far as a defensive front? Well, when I was working with Lamar, I had a chance to work with two outstanding NFL coaches. Okay, Lamar Leachman uh, was from Cartersville, Georgia. Uh, He played at the University of Tennessee. And uh, he had, he was with the New York Giants when they won their first Super Bowl with Parcells. Okay? Yeah. And up front, they ran a 34-2 gap system. All right. So when they hired Lamar at Detroit, that's what that's what they wanted to go to. And so that he, Lamar and I got to Detroit at the same time, 1990. Yeah. And uh, that was a new – Wayne Fonts just got the head coaching job. And so a 34-2 gap system is you line nose up on the center with your, with your nose guard and your two ends line head up on the offensive tackles, okay? 
And when they go to reach you or hook you, then you come out of your hips, you throw your hands into the center of the, the guy and you play his back shoulder. Okay. So if he's hooking you to the right, you're on his, you're, you're behind him. Okay. That was the way we played it. And then when you lose vision of the runner, then you would cross that guy's face and go make the play. All right. When John Turlick came in, uh, and John had been at the university, he'd been at the Minnesota Vikings when he had the purple people eaters. Yep. That was, he, yeah. He, oh, yeah. He, he was, yeah, he was the guy that I'll meet you at the quarterback. Okay. So we would line up in the gap and we would hit it. We tried to get a yard and a half in the backfield off, off ball movement. Okay. He was, let's rush the quarterback and the linebackers got to draw in the screen. Okay. We're up front. We're going to get the quarterback. Right. As a matter of fact, John Turlink. His name is on the, right now in the NFL when they announce the NFL Defensive Line Coach of the Year. It's the John Turlink Award. Mm. That's how that's how influential he was. And wow. so his deal, and, and you have to give him some credit because if you look back at his career, uh, there were times that would, and he he never wavered from what he believed was the way to play it, and Lamar never wavered for the way he thought it should be played. Okay, yeah. so two guys with two opposite ways to play the game. And, uh, and I really thought that kind of gave me a little bit of an education and advantage because you can mix and match some of those techniques at times in, in defensive fronts and things that you want to run. Uh, and, and you know how to teach it. Yeah. Uh, you know where the guy's eyes are, you know where his hands are supposed to be. Uh, you know what the cue is that he's looking at uh, as far as movement's concerned. Yeah. And then the one thing that we talked about already is effort. Right. Yeah. And, and I tell this coach, when I, when I'm coaching with a guy, I tell him up front, day one, when you look good, I look good. And when you look bad, I look real bad. I said, so I'm not going to do anything to try to make you look bad, okay? So if yeah. you'll trust me on that, then we're going to have a great, great relationship. Yeah, when I was in college, we had a, um, a really good defensive coordinator who then became the head coach later on. But uh, uh, my, my coach, Larry Blackstone, he ran a 52 slant and angle. Oh, yeah. And uh, I loved that defense because I was a defensive back. And it seemed like we were always getting pressure on a quarterback somehow. <laughs> so, uh, yep. <laughs> that made my job a lot easier. No doubt about it. But, uh, yeah, we were pretty much gap sound with that sucker. And, uh, you know, I got pressure on a quarterback. Yep. So, you know, and I think a lot of people, Coach, don't realize it. I try to tell them all that the defensive front and the secondary work together because if I'm putting pressure on him, if I'm getting close to him, then it's going to make your job easier. You're probably going to get some interceptions. Yeah, no if I'm not getting very that. close to him, you're going to look bad. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because I'm letting him hold the ball on you. No doubt. Well, yeah, Coach, uh, let's go back a little bit. Well, first I want to mention, you know, Pat Dye, of course, was at ECU. And yep. uh, and we were talking about Pat Dye. And then uh, I somehow fell, fell into some motivational uh, type stuff on Friday nights. And I, I actually brought Pat Dye back in to speak to the team one time. So uh, uh, that was really an enjoyable uh, yeah, thing for me to hear him speak. And yep. uh, yeah, I always remember that. I know they were very sad to see him leave East Carolina back in that day. Yep. So, you know, I know everybody would like to know a little bit more about Nick Saban and uh, when you were at Miami. And, you know, because of the question is, well, what, what was it with Nick? Why didn't he want to stay at the, at the professional level? Why did he go back to college? I mean, you know, what was the issue? So uh, 
you know, give me a little bit of information there if you can. <laughs> well, Coach, I'll tell you what happened to us. We, we in the free agency market, uh, we had the opportunity to take Drew Brees or Dante Culpepper. Okay. Yeah. Drew was coming off a shoulder surgery and Dante was coming off a knee injury, knee, knee surgery. Um, and so we ended up picking Dante Culpepper. Yeah. And he couldn't run anymore because of, his, of his, his knee. And uh, he had a hard time because when he was in uh, Minnesota, he, he had a, a guy uh, that, that was on a wide receiver, a guy named uh, Moss. You remember the guy's <laughs> name, Moss? <laughs> yeah. Randy Moss. Oh, yeah. So he could drop back and throw that thing up. Randy, go get it. Yep. And uh, we didn't really have that guy in, in Miami. And uh, so, you know, as we were going through, we were 05, now we're in 06. And uh, I think that what happened was that we had we'd reached the cap limit we didn't have the opportunity to do any, any major changes in the because of the structure of the contracts and all that to get a new quarterback. Right. And uh, I think at that, that point in time, that's when coach Saban said, well, I guess I need to go to Alabama. Yeah. So that's what he did. Now, what do you, uh, what do you attribute all his success there to uh, in, in knowing him? Well, just for, with, with I was with him for two years. Yeah. Um, you know, he knows what he wants to do. Uh, he knows how he wants it done. And just like they said uh, with him at the University of Alabama, you know, up until this year, you know, it looks like he had a little crack in the egg. But up until this year, he just has people coming in and going out. And it doesn't matter who's in there, who isn't in there. He keeps winning. Okay. And it's because he, he has certain things just like – all successful coaches, they have certain things in their program that they're going to oversee and it's going to be done a particular way. Uh, and when you find guys that have a history of winning over a long period of time and you start looking and, and talking to them about what their philosophy is and what do they keep their finger on, uh, what do they leave alone, uh, they're probably pretty, uh, pretty close to each other, you know. And yeah. I think that was the one thing uh, – from Coach Saban, uh, let me go back. Like you, you, you already heard my Coach Cheryl uh, interview, right? So yeah. it was. I want the players doing these, okay? So I'm meeting with Coach Saban <laughs> about what what am I going to do in my off season program, okay? So he he lets me go through my whole deal, de da 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 da, and then he he hands he has he had his own speed enhancement drills. I need to send you a copy sometime. And he, these speed enhancement drills were going to be done. Okay. And right. I think they originated in 1957. I'm not sure, but it might've been 58, but it, he had, uh, it was like 12 or 13 drills that you were going to do for speed enhancement. Okay. And those, yeah. that, and other than that, he said, you can do whatever you want to do, but you're going to do this. <laughs> I said, yes, sir. Might've been A's, B's and C's or something. Huh? Coach, I, I'll send you. It, it, no, it was, it was a uh, sprint. 360 to the right, go 10 more yards, 360 to the left. Uh, it was, I mean, I'm not saying they weren't good drills. Yeah. I'm just saying that's what he believed in. Uh, he wanted this to be part of the program. And then the other thing that he was really, uh, really adamant about is we had six minutes for warm up and stretch at practice. 
Okay. And he had the program that we were going to do for six minutes. All right. right. And I went to Alabama to watch him practice uh, a year or so ago. And it's not exactly the same as we did in Miami, but it's pretty darn close. Is his warm up and, and uh, stretch procedure that they do before practice. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So I'm just saying that when, when you're asking me a question about how this guy can be so successful for so long, it, yeah. it has to be him. I mean, because he's bringing people in, they're going out, I mean, you know, and uh, so that's the way it goes. Coach, uh, can you talk a little bit about going back to kind of where you, where you grew up and growing up and, you know, you were a very successful person uh, throughout your life. And, you know, who were your influences, your family, their, your mentors? Uh, tell me a little bit about that part of your life. Well, I, I, you know, my parents were very influential in my life as well, you know, and uh, God rest their souls. And, you know, that's where it would really start. It would start with at home. And uh, I was thinking about this a little bit earlier today because I knew you were going to ask this question at some point in our, in our deal. And, uh, I think some of the most influential people that, that I've had the opportunity to be around that, uh, would be Dr. Joe Elrod. Like I talked about him already. Yeah. Uh, June Jones. Okay. I was with June at SMU. And, uh, I think, and, and of course this is later in my professional career, but, one, one thing I think that June has the ability to do is to take a team that is down in the gutter and bring them up and, and make them into a winner. You know, he did it at Hawaii. He took the SMU job and, and we went and ended up going to five straight bowl games. Yeah. And I think that, that, that his secret for success, if you want to say it that way, is that respect all and fear none. Yeah. And what, what I'm talking about is you hear all these people nowadays, uh, everybody's, we're a family. We're, we're a family. Everybody's a family, right? Uh, well, in programs that are not winning, if you go into those programs that you're going to see that disrespect is going on. It's going on between the players. It's going on between the coaches. It's going on between the players and the coaches. Disrespect. And what do I mean by disrespect? Okay. Well, you're saying something or doing something to somebody that you can't take back. You can't put it back in the bottle. Okay. You, you don't cuss people. You don't demeanor them in front of other people. Okay. So what we said was if we can take out disrespect, if we somehow can take out disrespect, all that's left is respect. Wow. And if, if you think about it, you can't yeah. have a successful marriage. You can't have right. a successful football. You can't do anything if there's disrespect in the room. Now, once I get it out and, I, and we respect each other, the whole game changes, okay? And that's kind of June's deal. Uh, he just has a way of coming in. He, he, hey, there's, here's the four rules or three rules that we're going to go by. If anybody yeah. violates it, you're, getting, you're suspended. <laughs> we did an SMU. Bing! The, the best wide receiver we have, he suspended him. Yeah. Everybody, everybody looks around and says, whoa, if he'll do that to him, he'll do it to me. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden, everybody just starts buying in. You know, so that for going from that, uh, you know, I was really um, coach Bobby Ross, who I worked for at, 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 in Detroit. Yeah. Great organizer. I mean, he, he was he's the type of guy that we would have the notebook 
from what happened today, and you could page back through there 63, 364 days later, everything that we're going to be doing, it was in, it was in, and he pretty much stayed with it. We didn't have a lot of adjustments. Uh, so, you know, you've worked for different coaches and so have I. And so when you get a guy that is really organized in a fashion that he can tell you everything, it helps your family life, right? Because now you can tell your wife, hey, we got some time off here, or maybe we can go do something on this deal. Uh, and I work for some coaches that they tell you today, you got two weeks off to start tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks. Can't go anywhere, but thanks for the day off. So, you know, so it really, uh, I think it enhances your life if you can work for people that are, are so organized and so together that, that they can make your life better. I'll tell you what, that no respect rule, that uh, that can work in a lot of different ways scenarios particularly in a marriage so uh that's awesome man and coach i've seen it in real life i mean when 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 we went into smu there were some issues going on and you know they hadn't won in quite a while right and then you you, now you take the same guys and and you can start winning with them because they're buying into the this is the best thing for us you know right no doubt oh coach uh Tell me a little bit about what you're doing now. <laughs> well, I'm one of those guys that uh, I'm seeking further employment most of the time. But uh, no, what I'm doing right now, Coach, I'm working with my wife. Uh, she's been a realtor down here in South Florida for the last 17, 18 years. And uh, regardless of what's happening with the regular economy, she, she, she keeps to be rolling on. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so she does property management. She uh, sells homes condos, single family homes, uh, whatever it might be. And uh, so I've just been helping her uh, manage that particular situation. Uh, yeah. Every now and then I get the opportunity to go coach in an all-star game or uh, I went down to uh, LaSalle High School in uh, Miami and uh, coach the offensive line during spring training this past uh, spring. <laughs> uh-huh. So that okay. was fun. And uh, so I'm just doing kind of hanging out. Uh, but you know how it is, Coach. It, you, you never stop coaching. You always want looking for that next one. Yeah. Well, I want to just mention, you know, back when I got to know uh, Ronnie Jones and Ronnie and I would talk a little bit, and he'd always mention Bert Hill. <laughs> I always wondered who Bert Hill was. And then I kind of looked you up and you were one of those guys that really, uh, you looked the part, you know, I and, appreciate uh, it. Yes, do, you know how, do you know how Ronnie and I met? Uh, I'm not sure I heard that. <laughs> okay. Uh, Virgil Knight. Okay. All right. So Virgil Knight, I called up Virgil and I was telling him when I first, when I was at Texas A&M, we were building the largest weight room in the country. Okay. This is 1984, 85, 85, 86, really. We're going to build a little Jackie side. He's going to make the largest weight room in the country. And, uh, so I was going to look for one manufacturer that could give me everything. Cause I didn't want to have to go to him to get these, the barbells, this guy to get the dumbbells, this guy to get the machines. I wanted to find one vendor that would give me everything I wanted. Yeah. And I was talking to uh, Virgil about it. And uh, I was telling him that uh, I needed to, you know, I was looking around, I was trying to, so I had kindly finally decided on Samson Equipment Company. Okay. They had no, they'd only been business for a couple of years at this point in time, but they were putting out good equipment. Yeah. And uh, so then he, he directs me to Ronnie Jones, Ronnie and Virgil were both Arkansas guys, not the University of Arkansas, but like Arkansas uh, Pine Bluff, or I'm not sure exactly where, right? Like Arkansas Tech, maybe. And uh, 
So Virgil was actually the guy that introduced me to Ronnie Jones. And uh, because Ronnie was at that time was a strength coach at Arizona state. Yep. And they had refurbished their weight room and they had everything that Samson equipment made in their weight room. And so Samson was using them as their showcase, right? If you need to see it, here it is. And uh, <laughs> so that's how I ended up going. So I, I called Ronnie Jones up and say, Hey coach, can I come with you? Oh yeah, come on out. So he takes me out there. And then how about this coach? How's this go? So we're out on the practice field. They were in spring ball. We're on the practice field. And uh, John Cooper is the head coach at Arizona state. It's the same John Cooper that's at Ohio state. When I went up there in uh, 1988, <laughs> same coach. So I'm, I'll meet coach Cooper at Arizona state at that time. That was like a year and a half or two years before I uh, went, went with him up to, uh, to Ohio state. And he invites me up into tower. So we go up into tower to watch practice and he's pointing out this drill, that drill, and, uh, then I finish, and then, and then Ronnie takes me in the weight room and shows me around. I went back out, caught the plane, went back to Cali Station. <laughs> uh, well, I, I certainly enjoyed uh, hanging out a little bit with Ronnie, and we, you know, we put a couple speed clinics together. And then, of course, you know, he was the one that helped me get the, the ECU job because he had been friends with Steve Logan, and uh, that's the only way I, I heard about that particular job at that time so uh, always thankful for Ronnie Jones but but yeah I remember when I was speaking at a conference uh I think it was the NSA uh, NSCA conference you came up and approached me after and were talking to me and and, uh and then you finally said uh, yeah my name is Bert Hill and I was like wow man I've been I've been (laughs) hearing about you for for a couple decades now so I was so happy to meet you and then uh you know, when you were kind of in between jobs and you came and helped me at ECU, uh, I'll tell you what, Bert, I just, uh, I really enjoyed working with you and I was just so happy that you came and uh, helped me out a little bit. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I just think you're such a, such a fine person and such a great coach that I was just real happy to spend some time with you. So, I, you know, I'm very appreciative of that. Coach, I appreciate that. I appreciate you having me. I had a great time here at ECU. <laughs> well, uh I don't think I have much more time, but uh, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing. I mean, you, you have so many stories and have known so many figures in collegiate football. It's almost incredible, uh, you know, how many how many folks you've been around and, uh, you know, worked with or worked for and, and met over the years. So uh, very uh, interesting to hear those stories. So thanks a lot. Yeah, you're welcome, Coach. Appreciate okay, it. so uh, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. Yep. Uh, this is Coach Jeff Connors uh, with Absolute Empowerment. God bless, and we'll see you next You've been listening to Absolute Empowerment with Coach Jeff Connors on the Sports Objective. Join us every Monday night for a new edition of the show. Listen to the show pretty much everywhere podcasts are found. Be sure to follow us on social media at the Sports OBJ on Twitter and TikTok, at the Sports Objective on Instagram. Like and follow our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel. As always, we appreciate you listening to the show. And go Pirates!